So really the key difference with transcendental meditation is we're not trying to control the mind or concentrate, visualise or be mindful of our thoughts. And all these things activate the mind to some extent. And that's why if you've got a really busy mind or you're very anxious, it's really hard to do those techniques. Now, an analogy that's often used when we talk about transcendental meditation is to think of the mind as being a bit like an ocean. Uh, we can have a lot of turbulence on the surface of the ocean, but if you dive down underneath, there's complete stillness and silence. And that's the same as the mind. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast. This week, thanks to a number of questions on the art of meditation, I have the beautiful Wendy Rosenfeld. She is a teacher of transcendental meditation and a Maharishi Ayurveda practitioner. Wendy has been teaching TM for over 20 years and is passionate about helping people to live their full potential by accessing the deepest levels of the mind and releasing the blocks caused by stress, tension and past experiences. Wendy also offers personalized health consultations that take into account your unique constitutional type and addresses imbalance through diet, daily routines, herbs and lifestyle changes. She also conducts women's health seminars that give you the tools to experience the changing cycle and rhythms in a woman's life naturally without discomfort or emotional turmoil. You are going to love this week's podcast, and particularly as we head into Christmas Day, what a beautiful opportunity to take a breath, to acknowledge the profound effects of having quiet time, allowing the mind to become centered and relaxed, and in true Maharishi style, reaching self-actualization and enlightenment through the art of TM, something I learned many years ago, 25 years ago, in fact, is something I do not take for granted. I am really excited to share this with you and behalf of every team member at 28 and myself, can I please, with my family, wish you a very Merry Christmas. Take care and I look forward to talking to you again next week and on into 2023. As you know, I have an absolute delight and pleasure each week in bringing to you to the Self Love Podcast a gorgeous guest, somebody who I love, admire, look up to and respect. And this week, given all the questions I've had lately around meditation, mindset and how to calm our minds, I thought what better opportunity than to invite the gorgeous Wendy Rosenfeld onto the show. Welcome, gorgeous Wendy. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your and to talk about transcendental meditation. Um, I've been doing it myself personally for 30 years and teaching for just over 20 years. Well, I think that really speaks for itself and speaks absolute volumes. Perhaps before we get into what is TM, Transcendental Meditation, and why that particular form of meditation is so appealing, let's go back to where it all began for Wendy. Where are you from? How did you grow up? What led you into this beautiful work? Uh, look, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, I was uh, 19, nearly 20 when I learned Transcendental Meditation. And I guess I was just really looking for something more to life, like something beyond the senses. Um, so I was kind of looking in that direction and 
in a strange kind of turn of events, I ended up doing a house cleaning, child minding, gardening kind of job for a couple who were TM teachers. So as soon as they told me what they did and, and talked about it, I thought I definitely want to learn that. And so I learned that um, yeah, about 30 years ago and I've been doing it ever since and the benefits just improve over time. And I think having got such a great experience and seeing other people enjoy it, I felt like I really wanted to be able to teach teach it myself and so, you know, find more people to learn and, yeah, it's just been a wonderful journey. Well, I mean, how many 19-year-olds do you know that are looking for something more in life, that are actually open to this? There must have been something about you or was there anything that was the trigger for that or was it just right place, right time in your opinion? Yeah, look, there wasn't anything the trigger. Um, I guess it was more kind of a spiritual thing that I was looking for because I wasn't, I didn't think I was stressed or anxious or anything. Um, but it was really interesting. When I learned, I realised I was could be so much more efficient. I was studying um, an arts degree at uni and I found I could get my work done more quickly. I had more clarity of thinking. You know, a whole lot of benefits which I didn't actually go searching for. Um, but it's interesting you ask about that because, you know, I often get people in their late teens coming along to learn transcendental meditation completely off their own back. You know, it's not their parents, so they should go and do it. So I think, you know, people are always looking for um, more to life and self-development. Well, I think too in these days we're talking about it so much more and it seems to be way more friendly, if you like, to talk about the things that we want more of in life. And this is no exception. We also know that things like depression, anxiety, God forbid, suicide, mental health, there are so many challenges now. And I I love social media, but I know it's also had its costs and there's been sacrifice around it. What do you think over 30 years in this work, is it the fact that we're talking about it more that makes it more accessible? Is it a need from a medical or mental health perspective? Or is it genuine interest that has people now becoming more and more aware that meditation is one of the greatest gifts we can do for ourselves? Yeah, look, I think you could say yes to all three. I think even now, um, most people, you know, maybe not teenagers, but although some have tried at school, but most people have tried some sort of meditation technique or look for some way to relax. So I think, yeah, there's more stress, there's more pressure, there's more overload. And, you know, touching on social media, you know, very different to when I was growing up. Teenagers now have got phones and they're on their computer and they're, it's like an overstimulation. And so I think that triggers or contributes towards, you know, anxiety, not being able to sleep well, um, always being switched on. So there's just there's definitely more of a need. And I think, you know, people are seeking out ways to, to feel better. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, there's just more people searching for meditation. Well, that's pretty exciting in itself because we know and I know the powers of this form of meditation. I personally was introduced to it at 29 years of age. I'd heard about it before that. I'd been to a little talk and kind of dibbled and dabbled, but didn't really know until I did the program. And I actually did my learning when I was pregnant with my first child. And I, that was just amazing, Wendy. It was so beautiful to learn a technique like this. I did it with my husband. We had a teacher come into our home. There was about half a dozen of us learning. Could you explain to us then 
the different forms maybe of meditation, if you know, and then why yeah. TM is so different and yet so beautiful and easy? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I come across that all the time. I mean, I often have people come to me who say they've heard really great things about transcendental meditation, but they say, oh, look, I'm not good at meditating. I can't stop my thoughts or I can't control my mind. And it's completely different to other techniques. And, and people often, when they learn, two things they say, they say, wow, that's incredibly easy. And they're also surprised at how deep they go. So really the key difference with transcendental meditation is we're not trying to control the mind or concentrate, visualise or be mindful of our thoughts. And all these things activate the mind to some extent. And that's why if you've got a really busy mind or you're very anxious, it's really hard to do those techniques. Now, an analogy that's often used when we talk about transcendental meditation is to think of the mind as being a bit like an ocean. Uh, we can have a lot of turbulence on the surface of the ocean, but if you dive down underneath, there's complete stillness and silence. And that's the same as the mind. So with most techniques, um, we're just using the surface conscious thinking mind. And that's why it is a bit dependent on how busy or stressed you are as to how successful you'll feel that you you know, master that technique. Transcendental meditation is like diving down underneath. And the word transcend means to go beyond. So actually we go beyond the process of thinking. We have a, a mantra, which is a sound with no meaning attached, which is particularly soothing for the mind. And we think it in the mind, but it's actually purely the vehicle. So again, different to other mantra techniques, it's not that you're going to chant something for 20 minutes. You just think it in the mind, and the mind drops down to quieter and quieter and more subtle repetitions of it until ultimately it goes beyond the mantra and we experience the state with no thought, no mantra. We're not aware of our body, our surroundings, of anything. So it's completely silent, blissful, peaceful state. It's pretty magical and incredibly, um, I would call it incredibly fulfilling in the sense that our busy worlds this treadmill of life, the fact that we're all doing so much. If I look at the doing of transcendental meditation, the more you do it, the more you actually become it or you are being in that state. And I've heard many quotes around yoga and meditation and things, you know, practices like this, that the 20 minutes or the one hour on the mat is actually the working part for you to have it for the rest of the 23 hours or 23 hours and 40 minutes of your life. You don't do it for the 20 minutes. You do it for all the other minutes that you're not doing it. Is that something you'd agree with? And oh, if absolutely. so, how? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a lovely experience for that 20 minutes. Um, you know, we generally feel very peaceful and, and um, quiet, but it really is a technique for how you feel afterwards. And so what happens is we start to integrate that settled state of being, um, that more expanded state of awareness into our activity. And that's what all the research shows. You know, there's clearer thinking, better memory, better concentration, faster reaction time, more efficiency um, in many ways. So, yeah, that's exactly the point. We don't just meditate to feel relaxed for 20 minutes. We meditate to feel great, you know, for the rest of the day. When you mentioned the word research, so many people want to know the science in behind things. And I don't want to disrespect anything around these alternative, if you like, uh, modalities. 
But meditation was seen, even when I was a young child, kind of for the hippies, kind of for the alternative people, the people that were kind of a little bit different. What's your experience of the kinds of people that you get these days? And can you tell me more about the research around what mindset meditation and what it does for us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because, you know, Maharshi Mahesh Yogi, he was the one that brought Transcendental Meditation out to the world. He came out of India in the late 1950s. Actually, you know, we call him a yogi, um, but he was a trained physicist. He studied physics and he trained at university. And he actually bridges the gap between what you might say spiritual or Eastern or esoteric and what's scientific and understood in the Western way. And, you know, a really kind of key aspect of transcendental meditation is understanding the connection with quantum physics. So I might just touch on that. I mean, I, I, some people might know more about quantum physics than others. Um, but just to give a really brief kind of background, quantum physicists have been searching and searching for what we call the unified field. We can go back to Einstein. He thought there must be some underlying unity to everything in the universe. And so physicists have gone to this level, beyond the molecular level, beyond the atomic level, and they found at the subatomic level, everything's just fluctuations of particles. Everything's just vibration. And more recent theories actually describe it as superstring. Everything is just vibrations of the same stuff. So everything behaves more like energy at these very subtle levels of the functioning of the universe. Now, what Maharshi showed, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it, if there's a level of reality where everything is just vibrations of the same stuff, that also has to be at the basis of each individual. And that's where we go when we transcend. The mind actually drops down beyond the more superficial levels of life to experience that level of the unified field, to experience that vibrational state. And so we're actually experiencing the source of life. And that has profound benefits because we're waking up the connection between us and the rest of the universe. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that, you know, they want to be in tune with the universe and feel connected to, to everything. But often without a practical technique, you know, it's very difficult. You can have all the best intentions of loving people and, and um, living in harmony with the environment. But when you get stressed and tired, you know, a lot of that goes out of the window. Whereas TM is actually an, an experience we have in our meditation. And I think you used the word being before. We talk of it as being a state of being rather than a state of thinking because we've gone beyond thought. We're in this state where we're experiencing that everything is just an aspect of the self. But it's kind of hard to explain because when you're in it, you're not even thinking, oh, I'm in it or I am connected. It's like a deeply fulfilling state. And only when you come out, you feel, oh, I was somewhere else. You know, I wasn't thinking. But that somewhere else was the source of the universe, the source of um, the individual and everything else in the universe. So. Yeah, on that level, we can definitely kind of explain it all scientifically. And in terms of other research, I mean, there's over 650 studies documenting the benefits of transcendental meditation on mind, body, behaviour, um, looking at you know, reducing high blood pressure, um, dealing with insomnia, helping people with post-traumatic stress disorder, ADHD. I mean, there's just literally hundreds and hundreds um, of different studies showing this. Let's talk about the mantra. You don't share the mantra with everybody. It's your own exclusive mantra. 
you were talking before how it has no meaning. It's just a word for us to use perhaps the conscious mind to enable us or create a gateway into the unconscious and to transcend that space. Could you tell us the meaning and why he thought or why the mantra is so important? Yeah, look, the mantra is the vehicle to take the mind in. So on one level, we actually use it to transcend. Soothing sounds that the mind enjoys more at quieter levels. But it actually has a life-supporting vibrational effect. And that's why it's so important to use the mantras that are taught in, in transcendental meditation. Because the teachers that originally um, kind of, I guess, came up with the technique and looked after technique, and this is going back thousands and thousands of years, had complete expanded awareness. So they could experience every single level of the mind. Now, we only use 5 10% of our mind. Most people, unless you're transcending on a regular basis, you start to wake that up. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a kind of limited amount. These teachers had, we call it, you know, self-realisation or enlightenment, absolute awareness at every level of the mind. So they knew that these sounds had a life-supporting effect at every level of the mind. And that's important because if you think, oh, I can make up a mantra, it sounds nice to my ears or it has some nice association, you know, maybe it works 5%, but you've got 95% where you have no idea what um, vibrational effect that's having. And when we transcend, we're going to that, that quantum level. So that's really important. And just another word on, on mantras, um, there's a mantra that, we don't use in transcendental meditation, but it's very commonly known, and that's OM. Everyone's heard of OM. Um, the effect of that mantra, if it's used on a consistent basis, is actually to make you withdraw from life. So traditionally that was a recluse mantra. So that's fine for someone that wants to live in a cave in the Himalayas. But if you want to be out in the world, be successful and be in a relationship, that's definitely not the right mantra for you. So when people come and learn TM, they always do a little interview with the teacher to ensure that they're getting the most suitable mantra for them. Do you think then for people who may or may not think they're very good at meditation or maybe they've got the monkey mind or they've tried everything and they can never get quiet, I don't know, I hear this all the time, yeah. Is would you say then TM is one of the best vehicles for that or is there other techniques that can lead you into TM? What's your thoughts? Uh, look, you know, as someone who's taught TM for um, 20 years, I, I see all the time people that have that, you know, kind of um, feeling when they come and learn and they're surprised at how well they can do it because it's not, you know, it's not about trying to control the mind or um, engage with the mind. Anyone can transcend. We can teach children from the age of 10. Um, they do a slightly shorter amount of time and we've had great results with the people with ADHD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and that's because we transcend that mind. So, yeah, I think it's the technique that allows people to go beyond their busy mind and find that stillness. So then let's talk a little bit. You said enlightenment and self-realisation is what the, the real gurus get to. What is self-realisation? What is enlightenment? Yeah, that's a great question. And, look, it's not just gurus that get there. Um, we've all got the same nervous system, so we've all got the same potential self-realization so you know it's a big topic but i guess just to explain it simply um as i was saying before at the deepest level of the mind at the deepest level of the self there's a level of unity 
the unified field because it's the source of all life, the vibrational state of everything. Now, when we do transcendental meditation, we tap into that. And then we come out, we're back out in our active, busy lives, and we carry a little bit of that feeling around with us. But as we continue to do it many, many times and purify all the stress and fatigue out of the nervous system, we find that we don't lose that state even when we're in dynamic activity. And ultimately, there comes a point where we never lose that. So we're always connected to that level of life, which is the source of everything. Um, it's a state that Maharshi called views of cosmic consciousness because actually it is the consciousness of the cosmos, consciousness of the universe. We still have our individuality. We're still this individual, you know, moving around in life, but we're actually connected at that deepest level to the universe. So all our thoughts, all our actions are actually completely in tune with the universe. So in that state, we, we don't make mistakes. We don't have conflict. Um, and that's really, I guess, what self-realisation is because we're realising that the self isn't just this individual self, it's actually the self of everything, the self of the universe. Does that make sense? Or does yes. It a bit no, I love it. I love it. Uh, you say we don't make mistakes and we don't have conflict. Is that a true statement in the sense that conflict and mistakes can still happen but you don't choose to see it or react the way they would if they if you hadn't done this work? Yeah, look, on the pathway, I'd say definitely you don't feel the effects of things as much. And, and that's something people notice very quickly when they learn to you. They say, you know, same things happen. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic. You know, someone's rude to you. But you just don't take it on. You kind of can sit back in the situation and think, oh, okay, they're having a hard day. Uh, we're not reactive. But ultimately, when we're in that state of self-realisation, you know, we experience everything out there as us. So the same way we don't go around hitting ourselves or hurting ourselves, um, we don't do that to the universe. We develop a relationship that's as intimate between the mind and body, which is very intimate. You know, we have thoughts and we move our body around. Um, we develop that relationship between the individual and the universe. Now, someone from the outside looking at you may not say, oh, that person's definitely enlightened or self-realised because you know, they're coming from their perception of it. Um, and, you know, sometimes people may act in a way and you think, oh, why did they do that? But unless you know the outcome of everything in the universe, you, you can't always differentiate, well, what was the right thing to do in that situation? Um, one thing that develops with TM, again, we enjoy this on the pathway before we get enlightened completely, is um, an idea or experience Mahashi calls spontaneous right action where our thoughts are much more in accord with, with nature or the universe. And, you know, instead of being in your head, weighing up the pros and cons of should I do this, should I do that, you just have a thought, oh, I should go and do this. I should, you know, start this new business or I um, want to meet this person. And you find that it happens and you think afterwards, wow, that was really the best decision I could have made. But it was coming from that level of the deeper consciousness. Um, you know, Maharshi actually used the word cosmic computer. Everything is known, everything is calculated at the level of the unified field. And even when we're not there completely, as we transcend regularly, we get thoughts and impulses coming from that field. And so we find that, yeah, we, we're living much more um, in accord with, with the universe. When you really think about it, we're complex creatures. 
but we're only complex when it comes to thought or our interpretation or our emotions or the understanding of what we think life is or isn't. How do you get to a space or place of enlightenment and self-realization if you feel that the world is quite complex and challenging in itself or you've had beliefs or an upbringing where parents have created um, thoughts around how life is or isn't? After all, we learn from our parents in those first, you know, uh, seven to to 14 years. Is there, do you think, and, and I guess where I'm going here is, do you think that each of us are drawn to this regardless of our upbringing? How do you manage to help people overcome limiting thoughts, beliefs, or emotions around this kind of work? Yeah, that's a good point. It happens uh, spontaneously. Now, our brains are wired up by our past experience, so that's a really great point that you brought up because I think that's another um, issue with you know, self-development programs and meditation techniques that really emphasise, you know, think positive thoughts and manifest what you want because a lot of what we think about um, is determined by our past experience. You know, our brains are wired up by, you know, what we do over over and over again, which is great. We want to learn how to drive the car. We want to learn a foreign language. We repeat the activity over and over again and that becomes like second nature. But we also hardwire in all our negative activities or experiences. So maybe we continue to have failure in business or rejection in relationships or we had some sort of abusive situation. That gets wired into the brain and then we tend to expect that that's going to happen again. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD is a more extreme version of that because in PTSD, the brain's actually wired up to be on high alert all the time because you know, someone's been in a war zone or an abusive relationship or they've been bullied at work and they've had to be on high alert. Now, it's so strong that even when they leave the stressful situation, the hardwiring doesn't change. And actually, when you look at brain imaging, you see the amygdala, which is the fear centre, instead of moderating itself, it gets stuck on, it's like on overdrive. So they feel like they're always in a situation of danger. Now, you've got to change the brain functioning in order for people like that to have any success with, um, you know, life changes because otherwise they're going to be defensive. Um, People can't even sleep when they're in that sort of PTSD state. They're hypervigilant. And it's been shown that even a few sittings of transcending is enough to unstick that stuck amygdala so we, we don't feel in fight and flight all the time. And then as time goes on, we start to loosen up that hard wiring that has been created from perhaps these challenging experiences. And one of the really great things about TM is that when we meditate, we're not aware of any of the stress coming out. We're not thinking about, oh, that was from this traumatic thing that happened to me. It's a very peaceful, dreamy experience. But because we get into a state of rest, which is deeper than deep sleep, we're able to spontaneously release the emotional charge of these situations. So then over time, you know, even when we look back on them or we think about them, we don't get that same reaction. So it's a really um, successful way of getting rid of those self-sabotaging thoughts, um, rewiring the brain up to be more positive. And it's a really key thing, like you say, you know, you can tell people all these wonderful things, but if the brain's wired up not to believe it, then they won't believe it. Um, But having said that, actually, we've taught TM in many situations where people come along being quite sceptical 
and it might, might be in a school or a business situation or even it's been taught in prisons, and it's still going to work even if they don't believe in it. They're still going to come out feeling better, the stress will drop away, and these, you know, really positive changes will take place. But, yeah, it's a great point that you brought up. Oh, thank you, because often, you know, people, if they feel like they can't instantly notice a change or a difference, oh, it doesn't work. But I loved what you said. It is about consistency and repetitiveness, and in that in itself will create a new rewiring. And I also appreciate that one of the biggest things with TM is that you are guided with a teacher. You don't just read a book. Well, I suppose people can. But what is the benefit then of the teachings that someone like you offers as opposed to reading in a book? That might be a better way to ask. Yeah. No, that's definitely a really key thing about TM because at every step of the way, you're guided through it and you get a chance to ask questions and have answers because I think that's another thing people find with meditations where maybe they're doing it on an app or get it from a book. They don't know if they're doing it properly and um, they doubt they're doing it and there's less incentive to keep doing it. Um, so it is really important to have a teacher. And when you learn Transcendental Meditation, you know, we actually offer a lifetime of follow-up as part of the course fee. And that involves, you know, early on you come back monthly for four months and then after that whenever you need and then we have group meditation. So you can have learned 20, 30 years ago and still come back in and um, have a refresh or a check-in with your teacher because we really want people to get the most out of it. Um, and I think having that personalised follow-up and um, attentiveness to each individual person, um, you know, really, really helps people. I, I love the fact that once you become part of the community, you're in it forever. <laughs> and I love how caring and open and how many more people become involved in it and your networks drive and grow. And it's just, it's an incredible space to be in. Before I go into another question that I have for you, I just want to check in with you. Two times a day, 20 minutes each time. Do you have to do that? What happens if you miss it? Can you do one and not the other? What is the ultimate when it comes to TM? Yeah, that's right, 20 minutes twice a day. Um, look, if you miss it, it's not going to hurt you. You're just going to not get as, quite as much benefit as if you've done it. And that's the same with just doing it once a day. Um, I, I don't know the exact um, percentage, but actually doing it twice a day is more than twice as good. Um, and one thing I'll say too, it's like, you know, cleaning. You're cleaning out your system. So if you cleaned, um, you know, cleaned up your house every day as opposed to leaving it at the end of the week or a month, you know, you keep it fairly clean. There's not so much to release. And that's the same with TM. You know, it's not a technique that you just wait till you get stressed and meditate because, sure, you'll meditate, you'll feel better. But if you meditate twice a day, every day, you don't even get into situations where you feel stressed and you start to live all those um, things I was talking about before in terms of self-realisation, higher states of consciousness, more refined perception. So, you know, ultimately until you actually achieve that state of self-realisation, it's good to, to be regular in your TM because you can always feel better than you are. I know many companies now that embrace TM and actually have it as a part of their culture, if you like. The manufacturers of our skincare alone, uh, they at four o'clock every day are encouraged to meditate and go up into the room and only one person and they rotate it stays on reception for those 20 minutes what do you think about that in business and life and corporations bringing something like this into the workplace oh look i think it's fantastic i mean it's fantastic for um, the business because you're going to have more efficiency 
you're going to have happier staff. Uh, but it's also a really nice way to give something back to your staff too, so that they don't end the day kind of tired and stressed and you know, wanting to go home. They finish their day with a meditation. They'll go home feeling fantastic. And it's really nice to have a group of people to meditate with too. So that's a lovely idea that, you know, except for that one person, everyone gets to meditate together. What I also love is they go halves in the fees when they take people on into the workplace. I just, I think it's magical and it sets up a culture. Can you explain to us then around, uh, well, obviously TM out of India, so is Ayurvedic medicine. Are the two linked? And if so, or if not, could you explain to us why or how Ayurvedic medicine works? Yeah, look, they are linked. Um, Ayurveda is knowledge of life and it comes from the Vedic tradition of India. Um, and Veda, Veda means total knowledge, so knowledge that's true at every level of life. And with knowledge like that, it's not just something that you learn from a book. You actually experience it. And so just to give an example with Ayurveda, um, part of the whole thing is to purify the mind and body and then in that more purified state, your cravings, um, your desires for a particular food or lifestyle or that sort of thing actually improve because when the body's in a better state, it naturally seeks out um, more healthier options. So, yeah, in a sense, Vedic knowledge looks out for not just um, the object of knowledge, like not just, say, the food we eat, but it looks at the person eating the food and it looks at the process of how the food is made, um, grown, all of that. So it's like this three, three-way process of knowledge. And it's interesting because Maharshi brought out all these areas of Vedic knowledge. So there's Vedic um, architecture, Vedic agriculture, um, Vedic healthcare. And what he did was he re-enlivened the value of consciousness because in India, and this was due to, um, I guess, you know, foreign influence, um, sometimes the purity of it got a bit distorted. So um, maybe in a sense it was, it's getting left more to knowledge out of a book rather than someone actually living it completely. And so he brought transcending back into it. And so anyone who's doing um, Mahashi Vedic anything, whether it's Vedic Ayurveda or um, architecture, will be transcending on a regular basis. So they're coming from that place of clarity and knowledge becomes more cognized. Now another word for cognition, I guess, you could talk called intuition, which is just thinking and feeling at a deeper level rather than just relying on that, that intellectual mind. Oh, it's so beautiful and sounds and feels so calming. <laughs> and no matter whether it's big on an architecture or agricultural level or whether it's individual in the family or even in a corporation, the act of meditation, transcendental meditation, is actually an act of self-love. It's honouring oneself. It's caring for oneself. What is your definition of self-love and how is that linked to TM? Yeah, look, I guess my definition of self-love is self-realisation, like what I was saying before. Um, you know, I guess to express it more simply, you know, self-love, self-care is so important because, um, you know, how much we look after ourselves determines how successful we are in life, um, the quality of our relationships, you know, how will we do anything when we're tired and stressed? Our relationships aren't so great. You know, we may not be um, so good at achieving what we want to do in life. 
So it's not a selfish thing by any means. You know, the more self-care you have, the better person you are for everyone in your life. And it's something I come across so often. When one person in a family or relationship learns TM, the other people benefit. And, you know, I've even heard a few people or children actually say to their parents, mum or dad, go and do your meditation because they know when they come out <laughs> they're going to be a lot more tolerant, a lot more patient. So, again, you know, self-love or self-care is really care for the universe and care for that connection between you and the universe. Oh, isn't that beautiful and something that we can all take in. I, I want to just sneak back to Ayurveda and I would love to talk, to about, talk about the doshas. Could you just give us a brief description of each of the doshas and maybe how they work or how that attunes to the individual? Because I feel like the more we understand this, the more, again, there's more love for oneself, more understanding of oneself. Could you help us yeah. along those lines? Yeah, so... Ayurveda recognises that there are three governing principles in life and they're called doshas. There's Vata, Pitta and Kapha and everything in the universe is made up of these three doshas. So Vata's like um, air and it's got the qualities of the wind. So it's quick, light, dry, rough, changeable, cold and it governs all um, communication and um, movement in the universe. Then you've got Pitta, which is predominantly fire with a little bit of water. And Peter governs all dynamism, digestion, metabolism in the universe. And then you've got Kapha, which is made up of water and earth, and that's responsible for all structure and cohesion. So it's got the qualities of being heavy, slow, stable, sticky. So that's found everywhere in the universe. Now, in our physiology, we've got different proportions of the doshas, and that determines our likes and dislikes, you know, our build, um, you know, what food that we enjoy, all these sorts of things. And as you mentioned, it actually can make us feel a lot more kind of tolerant of other people and understanding because we know that we don't all um, like the same things and we don't all thrive on the same diet or the same routine. So I'll just give you a brief overview of what the different dosha types could appear like in different people. So someone who's got predominantly vata dosha, and they will have some pitta and some kapha, but their main dosha is vata. They'll generally be um, tall or short, um, they generally be extremes. They tend to have a lighter build. Um, they're quick, so they're quick in their movements, um, in their ability to take on information. They eat quickly, they talk quickly, they're very lively, enthusiastic sort of people. They can tend to get a little bit too much of that lightness and, and change. So when out of balance can manifest in um not being able to sleep so well, changing your mind, feeling spaced out, um, sometimes digestive problems. Uh, but balance, Sparta has those very light, lively, enthusiastic qualities. Pitta's more dynamic. So Pitta people tend to have more of a classic medium build, not necessarily tall or short. Um, you can often recognise them by the colour, like they'll have bright red hair or fair hair, freckly skin or ruddy complexion, because Pitta's like fire and you find the fiery um, colours are more prominent. They make very good organisers and managers. They like to make this be punctual, um, very organised sort of people. And their digestive system's a little bit stronger. So they're the sort of people that need to eat when it's mealtime. Vata can kind of happily, you know, get absorbed in something and forget to eat and then probably feel spaced out. But Pitta people know when it's lunchtime and they need to eat or they may feel slightly irritable. 
Um, and they don't like really hot weather. They're naturally warm by nature. Then you've got kapha types. Kapha people tend to have a bigger build, um, not necessarily overweight, but just better endurance, um, kind of bigger structure, thicker hair, more oily or unctuous skin, larger features, and they're more stable, steady, slow, methodical sort of people. Um, their digestion can tend to be a little bit sluggish and they're slower to make up their mind about things, make changes, um, but they actually make really good, uh, like they work really well with people. They, you know, good in childcare, um, as nurses, teachers, because they have a very warm sort of nurturing, stable nature. So we've each got a combination of these. And so we might be mainly one or predominantly equal parts of two, or even some people before Tridroshi have equal amounts of all three. And it's not about evening them up and trying to be all three equally. It's balancing what your type is. And that's the whole kind of um, beauty of Ayurveda, giving personalised advice to suit you. And it really helps because some people think, well, you know, my friend just eats raw food and, you know, she seems to be really healthy and great. But when I eat raw food, I get bloated and tired and it doesn't seem to agree with me. Um, yeah, one person's vata type, one person's bitter type. So, yeah, I think it really helps us, again, to understand ourselves and contribute towards that idea of self-care, self-love. Oh, it's fascinating and I really appreciate your explanation. It's very helpful. I know from my experience with different Ayurvedic practitioners, there seems to a real, there's a real focus on the holistic element, a spiritual element, and also a very, well, to me, beautiful, it feels very ancient. And you said that this has been around for thousands of years. How long has Ayurvedic medicine been recorded or known about? Do you know the answer to that? Yeah, look, again, thousands and thousands of years. There's people, we call them rishis and Mahashi. It's a Maharishi, a great rishi, a great knower. Um, and these are people that, again, didn't learn something from a book. It came as a cognition. So they would have had the experience of the doshas. And then, you know, at different times in history, things were actually recorded or, or written down. But I guess a lot of the Vedic tradition is also um, passed on from, you know, generation to generation. And, and particularly in India, there'll be families that their speciality might be post-diagnosed. So taking the pulse of someone and feeling very deeply their nature, what's out of balance, um, you know, again, like you mentioned, everything, you know, emotions, thoughts. How could their digestive system working? Or there could be another family where their speciality is um, knowledge of herbs and how to produce the herbs and prepare them in the right way. Because there's a real um, science to it. You know, even the times when the herbs are harvested and the way they're put together, you know, it's all really important. And if you try to think, how could you possibly learn all that? You know, it's almost impossible for the intellect. But when it comes from that level of cognition, then it's a way of understanding it without going out and studying it all on a superficial level. It's a way of just, you know, knowing. When you think about it from your perspective and how it's applied in your life, is this something you embalm each and every day? Do you live by these philosophies? How do you do it in a Western world? I mean, you know, like how do you incorporate this into your Western world? Look, I think the great thing about Ayurveda is it's um, a way of understanding life. 
So it's not that, you know, you're given a set of um, diet sheets. Oh, we do give some diet sheets so people have an idea of what the most suitable things for their dosha type. But it's not about rules. It's about understanding the effects of things. And, you know, the world's always changing. Our lives are always changing. But it's just simple things like, you know, you know when maybe you've been travelling a lot or you haven't slept well and you feel like the bar is getting out of balance. So you're starting to feel a bit spaced out and maybe feeling like, you know, your sleep's not so profound and maybe some digestive problems. You think, okay, well, how do I balance that? So bar is balanced by the opposite quality, which is rest, warm, nourishing food, even a, a warm oil massage, particular aromas. And so it's a way of always creating balance, um, you know, for the ever-changing world outside because we can't always control everything in the external world. So I found that really useful. So, I mean, I, I follow, I, you know, the, the principles of, of, of Ayurvedic living, but it doesn't stop me from, you know, going out and travelling and staying with people and um, eating out. If I, if I go out with friends or anything, I think, oh, I can't eat that because um, it's not Ayurvedic. It's not like that at all. I think it's really a system of understanding and that gives more flexibility. Oh, I love that. A system of understanding. How powerful is that? Do you have any scenarios or situations or any um, beautiful clients or students that have had profound impact by this work over your 30 years? Can you give us an example? Oh, look, so many. Um, I just when you said that, though, it made me think of somebody that I saw years and years ago as an Ayurvedic practitioner. And she came to see me and she had um, just a lot of uh, inflammation and um, she was in a lot of pain and she looked quite red, actually. I just remember her face. You know, we went through, I always take the polls to find out what they're doing. And it's always a way of not imposing some completely different diet and lifestyle on someone, finding out what they're doing and just seeing if, you know, there's some changes that could be made, you know, to the diet, maybe the daily routines get out of balance. You know, recommend some verbal preparation support, um, different parts of the physiology. And I remember she came back then for her follow-up consultation and I almost didn't recognise her. You know, all the redness had gone. Her face had changed completely. And I did obviously recognise her when she came in, but I thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, you look so different. And she was so happy because she just had got rid of a lot of discomfort. And, you know, it had been a lot of it was diet. But she didn't know. She thought she had a great diet. She was eating a lot of tomatoes and onions and garlic. And, you know, for someone else that might be okay. But for her, she had quite a strong pitter imbalance. And that was like adding fire, you know, to her physiology. Um, in terms of meditation, look, I'd say pretty much everyone. It's pretty profound. You know, you teach it over four days. And um, even over the first few days, people come back saying, oh, I slept better last night. Um, my thinking's clearer. You know, when I drove here to see you, I you know, really looked out the window and saw how beautiful the world was. Um, those things. And as people continue to come back on a regular basis, there's such profound life-changing benefits. And they say that. They say, I wouldn't not do my meditation because I, I've just noticed how, you know, dramatic it is and the changes. So that's why it's such a rewarding thing, being a teacher of transcendental meditation and also an Ayurvedic practitioner because, you know, it really works and you just see that it, it makes changes to people's lives. And also they're getting something that they can be self-sufficient with. I mean, we offer all this follow-up, but actually on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a really simple, easy technique that you can do at home on your own for 20 minutes twice a day. 
Um, you can do it if you travel on a plane or even on a bus. Um, it's a really practical tool. And I think having been given that when I learned it, you know, when I was about 19, um, I, I guess I appreciate that, that gift that I want to be able to share with other people. I think it's amazing and it's magical that you do this and you bring so much joy to so many people. I know a number of friends and clients that have come to see you and learnt their TM. What If somebody was really interested in this, how could they get in touch with you or follow you? Like where can we find you? Look, we've got a website um, which is tm.org.au. So that's useful for anyone because we've got TM centres all around Australia. Um, one thing that we will offer too is um, free information sessions on transcendental meditation. Um, you can do a live Zoom session or you can come in person. And that way you can get a really good understanding of, of what transcendental meditation is, how it's different to other techniques. You know, I usually touch a little bit on the quantum physics aspect that I mentioned, go through some of the scientific research. And it gives you the chance to ask any questions that you've got. Because, you know, people can get really confused with all the different types of meditation out there. And as we've talked about, some people feel like they can't meditate. And so it's really what it is, you know, before you take the next step to try to learn. Well, I think anything that's new or anything that's sitting on the radar for you to become interested in without feeling bombarded or sold to or made to feel like you should be doing this or made to feel wrong if you don't do it, I think that's what's so powerful about those pre-info sessions. If someone wanted to go from going from the pre-info session to then going and doing the four-day training, what happens after that? So once they've started to learn, then, um, you know, they'll book into a course. They come for four consecutive days. It's an individual hour on the first day and about an hour to an hour and a half on the next three days. And the next three days can be done in a small group. And then we have an ongoing follow-up program. We meet again about 10 days after the initial course. And then you come back individually once a month for four months. But as soon as you've learnt, you've got access to our group meditation anywhere um, worldwide. And we also now offer Zoom um, group meditations and um, follow-up on Zoom as well, which just helps us to reach people that might not be able to travel back, you know, where they first learned. And we have a daily group meditation for people that have learned TM. So sometimes we get people from all around Australia connecting up. So, yeah, there's a lot more once you've learned um, that you can get involved with. It really is a community, a way of life, and a beautiful, as you say, a tool that helps us to become self-sufficient. We're not reliant on therapists or someone to do it for us or to us or costs us a fortune every time we go or want to do it. And once you've got the skill, you've got it for life. If there was a message to this beautiful self-love podcast listener and you had one overriding thing you would love to share with them, what would that be? Yeah, look, I guess, you know, there's so much more to life and that was really the reason why I learned here. Um, you know, there's all the ups and downs in life and challenges and, and stress and all those things can take away from the absolute bliss and wonder of life because when you feel good, you know, nothing bothers you. And so I really encourage people to just think it out because, you know, Mahashi's goal of TM, he wanted everyone to live a life free of suffering. And, you know, I guess when I see people going through challenges and, and, and not enjoying life, it's cool. 
I think, oh, there is this technique, you know, you can release the stress and then you enjoy everything in your life. It's not that we have to get more from life. We don't have to amass material objects or be in relationships or um, have more success in our career. I mean, all those things are great and TM actually helps with that. But what it gives is a sense of inner happiness regardless of what's going on in your life. So I guess that would be my message and that's coming from my experience from what I learned. And I just very quickly felt more happiness. And I remember even I was driving off to university one day and I thought, oh, I feel really happy. And it took me a while to actually register that it had come from my meditation. So I was thinking, oh, why am I so happy? But it definitely was from that because that's just growing. I'd even go so far as calling it your superpower. (laughs) Yeah. It is something that can charge you and so often life can take from us or we may feel drained by people or situations or, like you say, the ups and downs, the challenges of life. But this is like plugging yourself in to recharge, rebuild and regather who you truly are and what you perhaps you were put on this earth to do, which is to live a joyful, happy, prosperous life. And I just want to thank you for the work that you and obviously all the forefathers and mothers between us, all the way back to the original, is it, was it Rishis you said, the, yeah, the real yeah. yogis? And of course, Mahar, is it Maharishi? How do you yeah, say? Yeah, right. the way he brought it into this world as well for us and perhaps in a more modern way for us to grasp hold of. But I'm just really wanting to publicly acknowledge and thank you, beautiful Wendy, because I get your emails all the time. I don't always jump in, but I do love the practice. And I love the fact that we can check in. Now, there was one final thing that I had about the mantra. You're not supposed to tell anybody your mantra, are you? Can you tell us the reason for that? Yeah, well, there's two reasons. I mean, once you learn it, um, it's like planting a seed. So like you plant a seed in the ground um, and you let it grow. You went back every day and dug it up, then you would observe the process. And that's a bit like the mantra. And as you would know from having learnt, um, you don't say it out loud. So if you were saying it out loud and telling people, you'd actually be, it'd be kind of disturbing to your own practice. And the other thing is, even if people come across a mantra, if they're not given the technique um, and the, you know, the, the support, it won't really do a lot. I mean, if someone randomly came across a TM mantra, they'd probably turn it into concentration. They're not being guided through how to use it to transcend. So the reason for that is it's not helpful for anyone, whether it's people who you think, oh, they'd love to learn TM and maybe I could teach them, or for yourself. Yeah, that's just not, not any benefit doing that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I keep trying to get it out of my husband. <laughs> And he kept trying to get it out of me and we were just laughing at the fact that what, why are we doing this? It's ours, yeah, ours alone. Yeah. It <laughs> I mean, is. That it curiosity is. of not knowing it yeah. or being nosy. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think there's some element of that with TM. People, when they learn, they feel, oh, that's that's, a, that's my special thing for me. And yeah. it's nice to keep it that way. Yeah, it's nice to have something that's just for you and you alone. I I totally agree and appreciate that. We're coming to the end of this beautiful conversation. I'm excited and delighted to know that you'll be a guest next year in our self-love and wellness mentorship group. And I know that people are really excited and lit up by this. Thank you for where we can get more information. But I'd just love you to finish, if you can, with a favorite quote of yours uh, and something that is meaning to you. Yeah, great. So my quote is, the world is as we are, and that's a Maharshi quote. And it really kind of relates back to what I was saying earlier. 
Um, you know, how we perceive the world depends on how we're feeling inside. And if we're, you know, unhappy and we're stressed, we don't perceive a very pleasant environment or, or look for the best in other people. But, you know, also as we discussed on the quantum level, the world is as we are. If we're experiencing that level of everything is just a vibration of myself, um, it really is us. So that's why I really love that quote. And, you know, I think it's also a way of just putting a little bit of responsibility back onto people. If you think, oh, my life's terrible and everything's going wrong and no one likes me, you know, you just look at yourself a bit and think, well, what can I do to get more out of my life? And, and sometimes it does take that. And it's not a judgment. It's just saying, well, maybe, you know, if you look after yourself a little bit more, you'll feel more positive and you'll feel like the world's a better place. Oh, Wendy Rosenfeld, thank you so much. What an absolute delight and privilege to have you on the show. Cannot wait to talk with you more in 2023. Merry Christmas, my dear friend, and look forward to more conversations with you around the powerful art of TM. Thanks so much, Kim. And it's also fantastic what you're doing. And I think it's wonderful. You're such a great example of, you know, what TM can um, give people in your work as well. So thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to talking to you next year. Such a privilege, my love. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.